haven't, and I see why I should have. Oh, we got a new clip, and it's a challenge. Yeah. All right, the guys are passing out something we're going to look at in a little bit. That's what comes out of my paycheck for union dues. I am a part of the union. Now, don't, you know, let your mind spin. I know some of us think crazy things about unions, but, which I do, but I'm in one, so it's okay. Um, The reason is actually an interesting parallel. You'll see where I'm going soon, but those dues I give of my resources to be part of a national union, that's the NEA, the Connecticut union, that's the CEA, and my local SEA, Southington Education Association. And there's responsibilities and privileges that come with being in the union. My principal called me in last spring, I've told the story to some of you, and said, we're going to wait for union representation. So I got a little worried about that one, but the point is I had privileges for my, in my local job um, and I give some of these resources for my local job that can also extend all the way up to Connecticut's Education Association and the National Education Association. Why am I talking like this? Well, you have a paper in front of you. I am excited for the fall. We are going to basically do a study here at why we do what we do here at Brantford Bible Chapel. And the first thing we have to clarify is the difference between the universal church and the local church. We will be talking about the local church, what happens here at Brantford Bible Chapel. Don't confuse it with the universal church. Uh, for time's sake, I'm not even going to really look at all of these. But just, I thought this was, I got this from Randy Amos. Um, just seven differences between the universal and the local church, okay? Uh, because when you read verses that talk about the church universal, you cannot apply them necessarily to the local church. That's where there might be some confusion. And so I just want to, again, as I think about I'm in the National Association, and trust me, there's benefits for being in the national, okay? I get like 10% off, you know, all these great stores, and I could even have lawyers represent me from the national level. But more importantly, if I don't go to my job, well, then that's a problem. And I'll probably get in trouble with my local building and then things like that. So it always comes down to what do we want to do as a local church? There are biblical guidelines um, for all churches. And then, to be quite honest, there are some things at a local church that has just been deemed as a tradition that the leadership has uh, said, hey, this is not necessarily we're going to find a verse or a passage to support it, but we think it's a good thing to do here. And so we want to clarify some of those things to you. We want to say, hey, what things are traditions that we do here? What things are we going to prove biblically? And so that is the road that we are on. Believe it or not, we want to all be on the same page. And in December... We're going to have one Sunday, Lord willing, that we are going to answer your questions. So practically, this is how it's going to work. Today, we're going to talk about 
fellowship. We're going to talk about what it means biblically, what it means for this local church. Okay, And if you have questions about that or any questions about what is going to be presented from this platform about Brantford Bible Chapel, you can email it to us. Um, the Brantford uh, elders have a Gmail account. Or we can, for now, I think we talked about putting a box out, but uh, you can just put a question in the offering and we'll get it. All right. But the way it works is that Sunday in December, if we have enough, we'd love to just kind of have the elders up here and just a candid Sunday where we just answer people's questions about why we do what we do. Because, again, we really want to all be on the same page. Let's look to the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much um, for who you are. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Uh, we truly are a joyful people because we know you. Help us to um, just focus solely on you. Help us to see, um, even in this time throughout your word, that uh, you're the one who's head of the church. You're the one that's so passionate and excited about what happens at church. And so, Lord, encourage us in these things. May your spirit control me that I might uh, present the words that you would want me to say. Lord, we pray again for unity here at Brantford Bible Chapel and that we would be encouraged in our hearts and that it would just be a good time in your word. We thank you again for so many things you have done here at Brantford Bible Chapel. and We look forward to all the things you will continue to do. So be honored and worshipped and glorified above all. In your name, amen. All right. Like I said, I'm not going to go over necessarily all those differences, but I just want to kind of start with there's a difference between a universal church, the universal church, anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as part of the universal church, and then what does it mean to have fellowship at a local church? What does it mean to be in fellowship here at Brantford Bible Chapel? Acts 2.42, we can start there. This is one of those verses you might have heard in the assemblies. We'll start in verse 40. It says, With many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Acts 2.42 is kind of a pattern verse. Um, if we're going to get deep into hermeneutics, you would not necessarily use a verse from the book of Acts to say this is exactly why we should do church this way. At the same time, this is what the apostles were doing. And so that is the pattern. That's what the early church was doing. They were committed to... Apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. So we're going to look at fellowship today. It's a word that's used sometimes in church that I don't know. It has a, a wide range of meaning in our own minds. Sometimes we think fellowship's just hanging out and having a cup of coffee. Um, sometimes we think to be 
in fellowship means you have to do something in order to be a part of that church. There's a lot of different definitions. I'm going to tell you what it says there in the Greek. It basically means to share together or to take part together. It's to have a partnership with someone. Okay? So we all have fellowship together. Why? Because we have all this in common, that we are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and want to live our lives for him. What does it mean to have fellowship here at this local place? It means that you're committing to be a part of the purpose of this local church. If you are in fellowship here at Brantford Bible Chapel, which you guys are, that means you're saying, I am sharing together and I am part of what's going on here at this local part of God's church. Now, it sounds interesting saying it sometimes, because I don't know sometimes if we've ever actually, in our minds, made that kind of statement. I have decided to be a part of this local church, and I am sharing together in the purpose of it, and I want to be part of it. That's what it is when you go to church. No matter what church you go to, that's what being in fellowship means. And so quickly, what is the purpose of church? Why do we get together? Is there a reason that we come together? Or did Jesus just say, well, I'll just kind of try to get together and have fun and maybe talk about me? No, the Bible actually lines out a lot of great guidelines for what he wants church to be. One of it is to worship God together. That is one of the purposes of coming together so that as a part of his body, we can together worship our God. The second part is edifying or building up the saints. Those are two main purposes for the local church. Edifying or building up the saints that are here and to worship God corporately. Now, right away you'll get, you know, you might have heard um, these kind of sentences. Well, I don't have to go to church to worship God. And you're right. You're right. But there's also something special about coming together as a body. So, for example, I will tell you right now, Peggy Clifford great woman that she is. It's actually really great, and I'll tell you why in a second. Her birthdays, right? She has said already, I don't need any presents anymore. All I want is my family with me. That's why it's great for me. No problem. No present, Mom. I'll just come over. You can make me dinner. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Happy birthday. But the reason I'm saying this, I was thinking of, I try to think of how the Lord would respond to someone saying, I don't have to go to church to worship. Well, I, I got to tell you, if I just randomly sent my mom a birthday present in the mail, and then my brother did, and then two days later Amy did, and then a couple days later Kim did, and would she appreciate the gift? Yes. But what does she really want? She wants us to come together to be a family and talk with her, be with her. I, I just want a simple example of it is important to together come so that Jesus Christ can say, that's my body. And they are worshiping. Very important. Again, in Ephesians chapter 4, I feel like we're going a little fast, but there's a lot here. You can read about the purpose of spiritual gifts. And we are here in fellowship to build one another up in the faith. And there is, that's a very broad topic. What does it mean to build someone up in the faith? That means we encourage one another when we're down. 
That means that we say the hard things when we need to if someone's going down the wrong path. That means we give of our time and resources to the uh, flock here at Brantford so that, again, God can be lifted up. I'm going over this in a lot of ways because it is extremely hard to do these things if you don't know the people you go to church with. And so fellowship does have this idea that no, Brentford Bible Chapel does not want all of us to be best friends. And yes, there might be pods of different friends, but we want to join a common purpose that we have each other's backs and that we are here to edify, build one another up, and together worship our God. And that is a mindset that we must all adhere to. Because that's what biblical fellowship is. And it is very hard for me to edify or build up if I don't know you. (laughs) And of course these things go outside of a Sunday. When I was a part of a football team, I loved it. I had a purpose. We wanted to win the championship. We wanted to go 10-0. and And we did a lot of things for that. We had a lot of responsibilities. We had to sweat, bleed, get banged up in a hot August sun. There's a lot of things we did at practice. And as a lineman, as I've said sometimes before, we protected our quarterback. Okay? And it was actually something interesting to the game of football because you would get physically hurt if you were trying to protect him from getting hurt. And if you missed your block, you had to pick up your quarterback and just say, sorry. Okay? So there was a piece there was like that. And guess what? That definitely traveled past game day. It went out past practice. I know it sounds weird and immature, but if someone messed with the quarterback in the hallway and there was linemen in the hallway, you would suddenly have three or four big guys saying, what the heck do you think you're doing right now? That's my quarterback. You better step aside. All right? And so that's what would happen. And so we did that because we were together as a purpose to get a championship. Obviously, fellowship should overflow past Sundays, correct? And obviously, we should have each other's back outside of this building. So that someday, man, I hear something happen on a Thursday night. I'm going to go over to that person's house because we're in this together. Okay? And it doesn't have to happen with every single person. But I really want to stress this idea of we are committed to a purpose here. And you and fellowship have signed on to that purpose. And you are integral, an integral part of achieving that purpose. There's no way I would ever be able to play football and just go out on the field by myself. There's no way you can win the game. And I got to tell you, when I make the block and the running back scores the touchdown, the fans might say, sweet job by the running back. But that whole team rejoices together as a team. I know I was part of it. I know the block I made. That guy did not just hike the ball and just get to run and try to get away from people. There was 11 people that had a plan, and they came together and scored. And so that's what happens with team. And that's some of the things here we're talking about. Okay. When is our fellowship time? Fellowship happens here from 9.15 to 12.15. There is one service here at Brantford Bible Chapel. 9.15 to 12.15. Now, I know in our minds we think differently sometimes. And fellowship can happen at Every single minute from 9.15 to 12.15, we
we are actually in fellowship right now. If by God's grace I am edifying and building you up, we're together, fellowship's happening. There's also fellowship when we come together to worship. There's also fellowship time at 1030 to 1055. And yes, there is weeks where we're just going to say, hey, guess what? I caught a big trout this week. But there should also be times where we are talking about each other's spiritual walks and not making it so individualistic as much as, hey, you're a part of the body here. And so our job is to edify one another. So there's something I need to do for you. Does that make sense? I'm not going to try to sit there and ping out exactly where you're out spiritually or what you need your work in or all that stuff. But the conversation should be getting to the point where we are talking about spiritual things. That we are talking about how are we doing as a body. That we're talking about how are we doing with outreach. That we're talking about how are we doing with our marriages. How are we doing at raising kids. How are we? All those things are you saying I am a part of a fellowship. And I have come onto this fellowship that I can help and receive help in the areas of living the godly life. And so if we are not talking to each other, it is very hard to edify. Very hard. And that is the purpose of why we come here. Who gets to be a part of this edifying process? Well, in... First uh, Peter chapter two it says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Let me tell you what Branford Bible Chapel believes in. It's called priesthood of all believers. In other words, the New Testament has now said that anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is a priest. Okay, and that's going to come out practically here in the assembly. So what does it mean to be a priest? Well, the best way, instead of coming up with our own definition, is to see what happened with the priests during the temple time. So when we're writing and we're reading, hey, you're now a priesthood, the Jewish person went, sorry, what did you say? Because that's for the Levites. No, no, now that Jesus has died on the cross, shed his blood, has now come to we are all part of the priesthood. That was an amazing truth that happened after the cross. That would not have been biblical before the cross. Everyone understands that, right? If you are not a Levite, you by God's law should not have gone and done certain things at the temple. And so now you can. So turn to Numbers chapter 18. I'm going to read from the NIV um, because I like it. So, but I skipped verses 2 and 3. So I'm going to read verse 1 and then 4 through 7. It says, The Lord said to Aaron, You, your sons, and your family are to bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the sanctuary, and you and your sons alone are to bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the priesthood. Now I'll go to verse 4. They are to join you and be responsible for the care of the tent of meeting, all the work of the tent, and no one else may come near where you are. 
You are to be responsible for the care of the sanctuary and the altar so that my wrath will not fall on the Israelites again. I myself have selected your fellow Levites from among the Israelites as a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord to do the work at the tent of meeting. But only you and your sons may serve as priests in connection with everything at the altar and inside the curtain. I am giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. Anyone else who comes near the sanctuary is to be put to death. Okay, there's a lot there. I want to take away two things that we can apply to the fact that we are now the priests here at Brantford Bible Chapel. Two words, privileges and responsibilities. Privileges and responsibilities. So if you are going to say, yes, I go to Brantford Bible Chapel, we say, awesome, praise the Lord. You're now in fellowship. You have privileges and you have responsibilities. Just like when I'm in the union, I get privileges. I get privileges. I get discounts on certain things. I have representation for me. I have contracts that are there for me that, you know, if my boss wants to say something wrong, I can go to the contract and say, actually, nope, I can't do that because of my contract. I have privileges. I also have responsibilities. I don't get to sit there and say I'm in the union and never show up to work. It just doesn't work that way. I also have to pay those crazy dues. Okay. There's a lot more privileges than I'm going to go over. And again, I'm kind of talking in general. But if you see here um, what we just read, the word responsibility comes up a few times. And that's why I went to NIV. Okay, You're responsible in verse 5 for the care of the sanctuary and the altar so that my wrath will not fall on the Israelites again. That's a pretty big responsibility. Okay, And I've selected your fellow Levites from among the Israelites as a gift to you. The gift was actually being able to serve. The gift, the privilege was, wow, I get to serve and be a Levite. There was also a lot of other gifts. You know or remember, right, that the Levites were fully supported by the rest of the Israelites. They got some of their food from actually the offerings. They uh, were not given a portion of the land. All those things the rest of the Israelites were supposed to support. And so we go back there into Acts that they shared all things in common. We're supposed to support one another in numerous ways as part of our privileges and our um, responsibilities. So let's look at what is your privilege first here at Branford Bible Chapel as a priest in fellowship. You are allowed to worship and bring your sacrifice of praise together with the saints. That's in Hebrews 13, 5. It's a privilege that you are able to, yes, sing songs of praise, but also the way we have set it up at this local place at 9.15, we come together audibly or not audibly, and we are allowed to go before the King of Kings and offer up our praise and our worship. And i got to tell you guys, that's amazing. Again, some of us have heard this uh, for many, many years, but there was a time in our history where you had to be a Levite in order to go certain places in the temple. There was a time where only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and now Jesus Christ is our high priest. 
He has wiped out all the furniture and all the things we had to do. We can now boldly go, and this is that whole book of Hebrews, we can now boldly go before the throne and worship. It is the highest occupation for a Christian to do. That's a privilege you get as a saint. Even if you have messed up that week. Even if you've sinned and had a horrible time in your spiritual walk. You confess it and you're able to come and sit here and worship. Amazing privilege. You are also privileged to biblical counseling. You should have the right to come here and church, especially here, should be a place where you say, I need counsel in this area of my life. Um, I'm dealing with this sin, and I need help with it. That, that's what the church is for, so that we can give sound biblical counseling. It does not have to be just the elders who do that. That's all of us. Okay, it's, and it, and so it has to be all of us, right? There are certain things that you guys have gone through that the elders have not gone through, and you're better qualified as a priest to counsel. That's okay. <laughs> okay? But also, an elder is supposed to be able to, it says one of the qualifications is to be able to teach. And so we have to be able to teach um, some of these things. Um, listen, there is um, some of this part of ironing, sharpening iron. This goes into what I was talking about, some of our conversations. We should be able to come to a place where people love us and are giving us biblical counseling. I remember, um, I don't want to, well, there was a couple here in the assembly. They're going to know who it is by. But who came up to um, me and said, listen, I think you're a little too competitive with your kids. Okay, a little too competitive. And why do I say that? Because that's what church should be about, guys. I'm a young parent, and someone had the courage to come up to me and say, listen, you have to be careful as a parent that you're not too competitive. I don't know how much I actually listen to that advice, but we are those in fellowship that need biblical counseling. Guys, parenting is one of the hardest things. And I know sometimes I talk a lot about marriage and parenting because that, to me, that's real life. That's real, real life. I'm married every day. I go home to kids every day. <laughs> I have real, I, I, that's real life. And so I want to know as a Christian, how do I do marriage? How do I do parenting? How do I pay bills? All those things. And this place should be a place of biblical counseling for that. And a lot more things. Your physical needs should also be met here. Now, we live in a country where this is uh, not necessarily a problem. We have so much in this country. We have shelters. We have uh, food banks. At the same time, it is biblical that if you have people in your assembly that do not have food, do not have shelter, they do not have their physical needs being met, the local church is supposed to provide for that person. That's what's supposed to happen. And sometimes we don't see that in this country. But other places in the world, you start going to church and that person has nowhere to live, that church better do something about that. Now, there's more of a conversation like, why don't you have a house and all that stuff? But physical needs are supposed to be um, taken care of. And that's a privilege for, for being a Christian and going to church. What are you responsible for? What are you responsible for? This goes into Ephesians as well. You are responsible, as said numerous times here, 
for using your spiritual gift. If we are coming together as a fellowship in order to edify and build one another up and worship the Lord, then I need you to use the gift that God has given you to build up the saints. And if you are not using your gift, that means someone's needs are not being met. That's just plain and simple. It's just plain and simple. I think we've talked a lot about that. So just from a practical level for the elders, the way ministries start here, okay, we gladly would have you, if you want to join a ministry here and serve, um, you go to the head of that ministry and say, hey, I would like to, and then there's conversations, and there's it's just, you know, nice conversations. If you want to uh, join this ministry or that ministry, okay. Um, but if you have a burden on your heart, that you see something that is not happening here, and you're gifted in that, then we would say, please come talk to us as elders and let us know how we can do this and support you in it. We are not, quote, giving permission because we are all priests, but there is some kind of uh, responsibility that we have as overseers. we we got to know what's happening. It would be kind of crazy if, one of you guys had a ministry going on and we had no idea about it. It's not really good for unity. And so, again, how does any ministry start? God puts a little nudge in someone's heart and then that person is faithful with a little and then God grows it and the faithful with a lot. And so, we encourage, again, you to join ministries here or if there's one that you want to start, please do so. You are a priest. You are responsible for the one another's. Remember that series we just did? That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. I was just looking again at some of the notes of maybe over 30 different one another's we are to do. I mean, we spent weeks on that. So that's why we're, I'm not going to spend weeks on that section right now. But there is lots of one another's that you as a priest, if you are in fellowship here, are supposed to do for each other. Exhort one another. Uh, bury one another's burdens, love one another. There is numerous, numerous one another. So how does this practically work out again? If I don't talk to you and I don't know really who you are, it's very hard for me to do the one another's. In fact, some of that can sometimes get bad where, oh, someone in my church has a problem. I've really never talked to them, but I'm going to write a check for it. I guarantee the person getting the check is going to be grateful. And I'm sure they'll... And um, that person is going to be grateful, but we we want things relational. We want things relational here. And so sometimes all we can do is give money. But there's other times where we have to do other things than one another's. You are responsible to go to church. (laughs) This is always one that's... um, there is no line. I just had this discussion with my daughter last night. You know, well, what if someone's sick? What if... Okay, so let's talk about it. You're responsible to go to church. God has said in, in Hebrews, do not forsake the assembling of each other. And the bigger picture is all the one another's. Everything we're talking about, worship, all the ways of edifying the saints, you cannot do if you're not here. So I don't know sometimes if you're going to get like a specific Bible verse that says... You have to go to church this many weeks a year. 
You're not going to find that. But it's the idea that you are part of a fellowship and you cannot, you cannot edify it if you're not here. You can't. And so, listen, the elder's point of view on this, we do not have an attendance sheet. We don't. Trust me. The last thing on our mind Sunday is, oh, do you see so-and-so is not here? Uh, we're honestly not looking. <laughs> we are not looking. Also, there is legit reasons why people are not here. Physical illness is a legit reason. If someone is bedridden, we don't get to go, well, you weren't here. Okay? And a lot of times, by the way, we've had conversations with people while they're missing church that we don't necessarily need to tell everyone about. Is that okay? Can we say that out loud? Right? Sometimes people are really like, you know, what's the church doing about so-and-so not being here? There's times people have pulled... People have been pulled aside and there's been conversations had, but I'm not going to stand up on a Sunday and go, hey guys, I want everyone to know. So-and-so was missing and we called him. We're not going to do that. That doesn't promote unity in the fellowship. Okay? But um, you, you and yourself have to go between you and the Lord and say, why am I missing church if I am? And I'm going to say this one more time nicely. Church is from 915 to 1215. 915 to 1215. So, are you missing church? Okay. Number four, you are responsible. I don't know why I always take a deep breath. You're responsible to submit to the authority. Now, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. But God has ordained elders and deacons. And you would, it would behoove you, I love that word, to just submit to them, meaning this, they're the ones responsible before God. To me, it's always about responsibility. You don't have to worry about something that goes on in the church that you might think is wrong if the responsibility before God is on the elders and deacons. You could pray for them. You can obviously disagree with us, say, hey, I think this is going wrong. But what I'm saying is sometimes it just comes to, okay, this is what this church does here. And even if I disagree, I need to submit to keep the unity of peace. And the Bible actually says in Hebrews 13 and um, 17, um, I think in 1 Timothy, the elders who ruled, that there is a biblical pattern of submitting to authority. And as I say all those things, remember the biblical pattern of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission is a Christ-like characteristic. That's what it is. Putting ourselves to the side and going, okay, I'm going to submit to that. So that's what you are responsible for. All right. How does it look practically here at Brantford Bible Chapel? How do I get into fellowship? We do not have membership here. We don't have membership here. Why do we say, and some of this is semantics. I say membership, fellowship, okay? How do you know you belong here at Brantford Bible Chapel? The reason we do not have membership is this. When you are saved, you were made a priest. Jesus Christ is now indwelling in you. You have spiritual gifts. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. There is no human that gets to sit there and go, well, you also have to do this to be a part of this church. There should be none of that. You also have to do this to be a part of the church. However, 
That's why we don't have a membership. Anyone can come here. Anyone who is saved can come here and fellowship. Okay? And this goes into some of these things we don't really think about, but this goes into race, creed, gender. There, there, there are churches out there that would have problems with racism or problems with gender things. Disabilities, I don't know. But the church welcomes anyone who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you can be a member here. Okay? Now, there is a piece of what we call in-fellowship. Why do we call it in-fellowship? Because as we talk about privileges and responsibilities for you being a priest, okay, the flock, the assembly needs to know in some ways who is in fellowship because that makes you responsible for them. So this is where, if you come to Branford Bible Chapel once every four to five months and you visit, are you in fellowship here? No. It's not that we don't like you. It's not that we don't love you. But can I look at, you know, that person coming once every four or five months and go, yes, and we need to do all the one another's for that person. And we need to, this is a, a hard thing. Okay? And so what we do here at Brantford Bible Chapel is, if someone starts coming here for about two, three weeks, what we like to do is, as elders, we meet with them. And we just say, hey, basically, you have any questions? I mean, the breaking of bread looks really weird if you've never been to a place that does this. It does. Hey, you have any questions? Um, what's going on here? And we try to meet with you, and then we simply ask a question. Would you like to make Branford your home church? Yes. Done. In fellowship. That's the way it works here. Done. You're in fellowship. But you've got to see a little difference. There's got to be a line, too, of like, you know, if I, when I go speak at another assembly... Right? If I go speak, and I'm going to speak at Waterbury next week. And I say, guys, you know, I just need, I don't even know what my need is, but I, they're not responsible for me, guys. They're not. You're responsible for me. <laughs> okay. So this is what we talk about where we don't have membership. There are churches out there, and again, we're not trying to bad, but, you know, um, you, you get to vote. You get to, uh, you have to do X, Y, Z in order to be a member. If you want to come here and you're a believer, you're in fellowship. But with that will come all the responsibilities and privileges of being in fellowship here. All right. The sad stuff. How does one get put out of fellowship? We have to cover this topic as well as when we're talking about fellowship here at Brantford Bible Chapel and what it means at church. Okay, um, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay, we're going to read through. Um, let, let's read through the first 13 verses. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. Then you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged, as though I were present, him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. 
Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or the extortioners, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Okay, again, time's not going to allow us to, to really dig deep, um, but are there times where a local church needs to put someone out of fellowship? Yes, based on this chapter. Again, the elders are not looking to see people that we want to put out. Trust me. Okay, we are not seeing it. So here's some of the guidelines based on this chapter of why biblically someone should be put out of fellowship. Okay, when someone has an habitual sin, the sin keeps going on and on and on. In the context here, it's not like this person made a mistake once. It's happening enough where people are talking about it, they're hearing about it, it's very public. Which, by the way, is the second thing that has to happen before um, someone is put out of fellowship. In other words, it's now affecting the body life. It's a public sin. Okay? The third is that person is not repentant at all. Those are the three qualifications that we as elders would do if we wanted to put someone out of fellowship. And I cannot stress enough. Trust me, guys. I want you to, uh, to think about uh, when we have con- consciously made a decision to deliver someone over to Satan. Trust me, there's a lot of agony, there's a lot of prayer, and, and to be just completely honest on the pulpit, we don't want to do it. And the only reason we do it is because now we're responsible before God. And there's a lot of prayers that go, can, it's going to be any other way. But I want to go over again the three things. It was a habitual sin. Anyone in this place can sin once and do something horrendous, and you're not going to get kicked out of fellowship if you're repentant. But it's something that's continual. It's something that's been made public, and the assembly knows about it. And then we confront that person, and they are not repentant. And trust me, that's not a one-time deal either. There's numerous meetings going, hey, what's going on with this? Hey, and if someone refuses to repent and it's affecting body life and it's public, then they're told you do not get the privileges and responsibilities of being a priest in a local fellowship 
if you are going to be one who's unrepentant and basically just going to go live in your sin. And I got to tell you, that's fair. That's fair. That Jesus Christ died on the cross and forgave us our sins. He's given us all these great blessings. He's provided a local church for us to be a part of, that we would share in our privileges and responsibilities. And someone is just struggling with this sin, but it's an attitude of, I'm not going to change and I'm going to do this sin. And there's nothing you can do about it. Well, then guess what? Now you're affecting the body. And, and we, can't do, we can't allow that. And so someone is put out of fellowship. Now, why do we do it? Not only because it's, quote, biblical, but what is the thing behind it? Is verse 5. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. It is always for restoration. The only reason the elders here at Branford Bible Chapel would put someone out of fellowship is so that one day they can be restored. That's it. And so it's this idea of, instead of you kind of getting all the bennies of church life and Christian life and what you think are all the benefits of the world, we're going to give you over to the world. That in hopes, once you live in the world, and you live under Satan's rule and authority, and you've rejected this part, that's why you can't even eat with them. We have to put that person to a place where they are only in the world. And then, it's like the prodigal son. Wait a minute. Is, did I give up all of this for this? And they come back with a repentant heart and we restore them. And the next day we say, hey, forgiven, let's move on. That's the point. But there's got to be that in a local church. And i got to tell you, I don't see a lot of it happening in the church universal. And I, I don't even like to kind of say it out loud, but it's, it's something there. It's something there because it's a hard thing to do. But here at Brantford, we want you in fellowship. <laughs> we want nothing more than you to be in fellowship and to use all your privileges and responsibilities to the glory of the Lord. I'm going to end with a story. In the Greek islands, one can seek out the home of Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine. In the area, one can also find an olive tree, supposedly dating from his time. If this is so, the tree would be more than 2,400 years old. The trunk of this tree is very large but completely hollow. The tree is a little more than thick bark. There are a few long, straggling branches, but they are supported by sturdy wooden poles every few feet. It has an occasional leaf here and there and might even produce a few olives each year. In the fields around, however, are olive groves in many directions. The strong, healthy, young trees with narrow tree trunks are covered with a thick canopy of leaves under which masses of olives can be found each year. The tree of Hippocrates can still be called an olive by nature in that it still shows the essential unique characteristics, but it has long since ceased to fulfill an olive's function. Tourists file up to inspect this ancient relic having some link to a dim history, but the job of the olive tree passed long ago to many successions of replanted trees. Do you know any churches like the tree of Hippocrates? The form is there, but the function is not. They have stopped reproducing and are satisfied just being big or having a noble history. Guys, when it comes to fellowship here in this local church, we cannot again begin to stress how important you are to this place we cannot begin to 
just that we got to do life together and that there are things that God has done in the local church. He has put this place here as a testimony to the outside. He has put this place here that your spiritual needs would be met. He has put this place here that you would meet other spiritual needs. And we can easily become like this tree where you look good on the outside and maybe just a few olives here and there. And we could be vibrant, could be vibrant. But that is always, always a personal matter of the heart. It will always be you and the Lord talking about what your job is here, that you're in fellowship here at Brantford Bible Chapel. It will always be between you and him. No matter what happens at this place, the church is folks and folks are folks. I got to tell you, Jesus is very excited about church. <laughs> and he's very excited what happens here. And we want nothing more, the leadership here, than to see this church grow and expand into maturity and numbers and all of that stuff. And so let's get this common purpose together that we would edify and build one another up and we would worship our God together and we would see the value of what it is that we are in fellowship together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you um, for your goodness and your grace. Thank you, Lord, um, that you are always willing to give help in need um, to us as a weak and feeble people. Lord, again, we pray that you do tremendously, miraculously, above all that we could even imagine here at this local church that uh, we, we want to see our God do amazing, mighty things, that this town would sit there and go, God is there, that uh, we would see souls saved, that we would be a people that you are on our lips, that we would be those who are maturing in the faith, that we would put away our carnality and just uh, try to live for you, that we would be happy and joyful about our lives in you. Lord, uh, we are a sinful people. And so it is only our natural inclination to go against you. Oh, Lord, we need so much help. Thank you uh, for helping us. And again, we pray that you would be extra merciful and gracious here at this place, even as we go through this series, that it might bond us together in you. In your name, amen.